everyone, and welcome to Magical Streaming, a podcast where we watch Disney+, Plus, give you some history, give you some trivia, and finally give you some hot takes. My name is Amber. My name is Marie. And today we're talking about who framed Roger Rabbit. That is right. And how did we come to this decision? So, as we've discussed previously, the fourth episode of the month will be a listener choice episode, but we don't have enough listeners to make a choice so I let the internet decide for me by that I mean I went on the vultures 80 of the best things you can watch on Disney plus right now and used a random number generator and voila who framed Roger Rabbit came out well 10 things I hate about you came out and then I said no 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 and I hit the button again and who framed Roger Rabbit came out there you have it although we will be doing a poll next month we are and i get to pick all four of the choices on the poll because it's my birthday month fine and the fourth week falls really my birthday week that's true so i get to pick what the four choices we're watching that week no i get to pick the four choices yeah but the four choices will lead to which movie we're watching that week right podcaster's choice is also next week which i also get to pick because it's my birthday you're going to get to pick podcaster choice on my birthday month. I'm, I'm going to choose Cinderella Live Action 2015. Aww, so nice. <laughs> anyway, why don't you give us a synopsis about Who Framed Roger Rabbit because that is what we're talking about today. That is true. All right, here we go. As per Disney+, Plus, here you have the synopsis. When Toontown's owner is found murdered, all fingers point to cartoon superstar Roger Rabbit. With nowhere else to turn, and the sinister, power-hungry Judge Doom hot on his tail, Roger begs the tune-hating detective, Eddie Valiant, to find the real evildoer. But the plot thickens as Eddie uncovers scandal after scandal and realizes the very existence of Toontown is at stake. Yeah! There you have it. So, if you've never seen this movie, it is a hybrid live-action animation movie. Um, one of the first to have a modern take on the hybrid live action because that used to be done a lot at the start of the company and in shorts and stuff and then we kind of moved away from mixing real people with animation um I mean, this was this came out in 1988. 88. Um, there was Bedknobs and Broomsticks, and there was Mary Poppins, but those were much sooner. I mean, the 70s? Yeah, early 70s, I guess, for Bedknobs and Broomstick. Well, this movie, as we're going to talk about later, kind of changed... It was a game changer in a lot of ways. And so it's not surprising that this was really one of them. In fact, this movie, it took a little while to get greenlit because uh, the proposed budget for it was too high, they were saying, but... It was 50 million. It was 50 million, and that's what ended up being the budget. Although some places said up to 71 million, it varies depending on your source. What I'm going to cite today is 50 million, in 1988 money, which is $109,914,491.97 in today's money. I'm not even gonna say anything. The movie premiered on June 22nd, 1988, and at the box office, it brought in $329.8 million in 1988 money, or mm-hmm. $716,399,198.65 in 2020 money. Imagine, this is one year before I was born. If I had had... (laughs) A million dollars? A million dollars. I would have so many more dollars today. That's true. Unfortunately, you were a baby. Yeah, and I did not have a million (laughs) dollars. That's true. The movie was released under the Touchstone Pictures, which we've talked about before. 10 Things I Hate About You was also released under Touchstone Pictures. 
because they were like, this is not family friendly enough for Disney's main banner logo. But Disney bought up the rights to the novel by uh, Gary K. Wolf, who censored Roger Rabbit. In 1981, the same year that the novel came out, they knew that they wanted, to do wanted something this. With it. But, as he said, the movie wasn't released until 1988. Now, some of that is due to having difficulty getting the budget passed. Some of that is due to just how long it took everything to be done because uh, it was 14 months in post-production, over a year. Because you have to remember back then, there was no... Con- um, computer animation and no digital uh, compositing so this was all done by hand all the animation had to be drawn and placed over the cells over the scenes and then painstakingly moving them around to make sure everything was perfect so it was a big big undertaking and a 50 million dollar budget isn't that much when you think of everything that they had to do um, and the chairman of the Walt Disney Animation Studios said to the board that this movie could save the animation department at Disney, which was having a lot of trouble throughout the 70s and early 80s. And in fact, this movie is credited as spearheading the Renaissance, a renewed interest in animation that brought forth the great films of the late 80s, early 90s, all the way to the mid-90s, really. Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, The Little, Little Mermaid, Mermaid uh, Pocahontas, Pocahontas, Aladdin, just all of these really iconic films. Of so our childhood, yeah. Jeffrey Katzenberg was correct. It did renew that interest. Uh, And the movie won three Academy Awards. It won Best Film Editing, very well deserved, because one of the things you notice when you're watching this film is it seems like they are actually interacting. There is no bad... yeah. Yeah, there's no bad, like, you can tell that they're pretending. It's so seamless and so perfect. It also won Best Sound Effect Editing, and best visual effects. Three very well-deserved Oscars, in my opinion, because they they really brought it down. And casting on this movie was a little bit tricky. The original choice for Eddie Valiant was Harrison Ford. That's not what I found. I only saw that he was one of the contenders. Nope. But not even that seriously. Nope. He was the original choice, but he wanted too much money, and they were like, nah, 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 nah. Then Bill Murray was asked about it, but because Bill Murray just, like... No. Okay, you did not read what I read. Okay. What I read about Bill Murray is that they wanted him, but they couldn't get a hold of him. Yes, so he missed out on it because he's, he sends all of his pitches to a voicemail and he just kind of goes through it willy-nilly so by the time that he realized that they were looking for him to do the part it was too late so no they couldn't get a hold of him directly they got his voice system thing that he uses and they couldn't get a hold of him okay because what i saw is that um in a newspaper interview, uh, Robert Zemeckis, who is one of the directors, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, stated that he, uh, Bill Murray was his and Steven Spielberg, Spielberg's original choice for the role, and neither of them could get in contact with him on time. And then Bill Murray has stated that when he read the interview, he was in a public place and screamed his lungs out. Because he would definitely have accepted the role. So he found out by reading the interview in the newspaper. Okay, well, take it up with Wikipedia, which has its sources that I didn't further click on. So, <laughs> yeah, okay, you can put anything on anything. No, Point it's is, very difficult. Point okay, is, you know what? Call up Bill Murray. We'll ask excuse him. me, Mr. Murray, if you're listening to this podcast, can you <laughs> tell us the truth? <laughs> Tweet um, us at Stream the Magic. 
Um, other people that were considered include Eddie Murphy, Chevy Chase, Robin Williams, Robert Redford, Jack Nicholson, Sylvester Stallone, Wallace Shawn, Ed Harris, Charles Goodwin, and uh, Don Kane. So quite a big list of big names yep. that were all considered and didn't get the part for whatever reason. Although reportedly Eddie Murphy turned down the role, so he was offered it. But he said no. Um, and he regretted it. Yeah, I also read that. For Judge Doom, Tim Curry auditioned, and they were like, no, 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 he's too scary. And then uh, John Cleese auditioned, and they said, no, 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 he's not scary enough. Well, and it wasn't so much. It wasn't just that he couldn't place, like, that they thought he couldn't play scary or whatnot. It's just they didn't think that the audience would take him seriously as a sadistic villain because of his history as a former member of Monty Python. Christopher Lee turned down the role, who uh, everybody knows Christopher Lee, but I'm going to say the first Christopher Lee I knew was in Star Wars as Count Dooku because he's in the original trilogy. I was... Um, in 2001, no, 99 is when Phantom Menace came out. I was seven. So that was my first introduction to Christopher Lee as a seven-year-old was in Star Wars. Anyway, continued. Um, other people considered for the role, uh, Roddy McDowell, Eddie Deason, and Sting before Christopher Lloyd, who had worked, um, with... You know I didn't watch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> no, I'm just checking. Okay. I just wanted to see where I first saw him because I couldn't tell if it was Lord of the Rings or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Wow. I know. Too. It's, yeah. Mr. Lee, we're so sorry she just said that. Why would you be <laughs> sorry? Do you think he regrets that role? Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? A hundred percent. Everybody who is involved in that movie has to regret it. Okay, now you're just sprouting opinions, and a lot of people like that movie. Okay. Well, anyway, keep going. We're not talking about this. Let's let's get into Legacy. Do I usually do this at the end? I'm going to do it now. Legacy. <clears throat> um, Toontown Online was an online gaming system pre-Club Penguin, which younger people will know. <clears throat> that ran from June 2nd, 2003. <coughs> Are you choking? I'm dying. On air, live on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Toontown Online ran from June 2nd, 2003. <coughs> Please drink some water. <coughs> they don't want me to tell the truth about Toontown. <laughs> Clearly. We're experiencing some technical difficulties in Amber's throat. <clears> throat> Okay. There we go. So, the truth about Toontown Online. <laughs> it ran from June 2nd, 2003 to September 19th, 2013. Although, it did scale back uh, at certain points. It became less and less. I played Toontown Online. I don't think I did. Well, I had access to a computer and a lot of free time. Uh, Toontown Online, you got to be a tune, you got to do things. One of my favorite things was to throw pies at people. It was a great time. Other legacies, of course, Mickey's Toontown was put in in various parks around the world. I can feel the coughs coming back. Um, Magic Kingdom had a vi version of Mickey's Toontown although it had evolved. So first in June 18th, 1988, so right before the movie came out, it was Mickey's Birthday Land. Then it became Mickey's Starland on May 26, 1990. Then it became Toontown Fair as of October 1st, 1996. Um, and there is nothing Roger Rabbity about it. It was just the Toontown name and kind of this idea. And that was up until February 11th, 2011, when they tore it down to make what is now New Fantasyland and Storybook Circus. Mm -hmm. Disneyland still has Mickey's Toontown. It started operating January 24th, 1993, one month before I was born. <laughs> and Tokyo Disneyland has Mickey's Toontown 
which opened April 15th, 1996, and is still operating. Um, in Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris, they have Toon Studios, which is inspired by the naming is, although it used to be Animation Courtyard and they changed it to Toon Studios. Uh, that is where everything fun is in Walt Disney Studios. That's where Crush's Coaster is, where the Toy Story Playland is, where Ratatouille is, where the Cars area is. All of that is considered Toon Studios. Is there even another park to that park? Did yeah. we not go into we it? We didn't. Where okay. they had Rock and Roller Coaster and Tower of Terror. Oh, that's why we didn't go into it, because we were like, we've done these things. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And... But in Disneyland and Tokyo Disneyland, they do have a Roger Rabbit-themed attraction. It's called Roger Rabbit's Car Tune, Car and then Tune, two separate words, Spin, where you ride in Benny, the cab, and that's been operating since January 26, 1994 in Disneyland, and since April 15, 1996 in Tokyo Disneyland. I've never heard of that. I have. Right. And there's a fountain. It's really nice. Um, I think I've seen that. You've seen the fountain, but you didn't know about the ride? Nope. Okay, well, that is going to do it for me on the history. Why don't you give us some trivia? Okay, well, the first one I'm going to start on is one regarding casting that you missed. That I missed or I didn't care about. It's about Jessica Rabbit. Yes, I think I know this. Who is voiced by Kathleen Turner. Yes. But her singing voice was performed by Amy Irving. And only Irving is credited. Yes. Which is so weird and rude. It's the rudest Because thing. she sings one, one song, song and like the rest of the time she's talking. So why? That's just rude. It's rude. Also, Kathleen Turner was nine months pregnant when she Ooh. recorded the voice for Reg- Jessica Rabbit. So double rude. Like so she was rude. Super pregnant. She did this job. She did it well. Yes, and she they're did. like, we're not even gonna credit. We're not you. gonna credit you. Did she? Yeah. I mean, I guess as long as she got paid. Well, like yes, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that doesn't have to do with salary. But anyway, um, so this you you did touch earlier on the fact that this is actually a touch tone pictures. Yes. Um, although. Disney bought the rights to the book and etc. Um, I actually like when I saw the logo come on, it was surprising, not surprising in a sense because I was like, okay, that makes sense because this is not a movie you would expect to be done by Walt Disney Studios, as you right. said, not exactly super family friendly. Right. Do you have uh, a fact about that? Because I have a fact about the not family friendliness of it. Uh, not that I can think of right now, but let me finish okay. my train of thought. Um, so, yes, this is actually, this one and The Nightmare Before Christmas are the only films under Touchstone Picture that are considered official kind of Disney films, which also, like, a lot of people will think of them as Disney films and not a separate studio. Right. Which was my, like, not with Nightmare Before Christmas, but for this movie, that was the case for me. I thought it was... Oh, no, just, I didn't. I knew well, it wasn't. Okay, you knew. I didn't. But it it does make a lot more sense that it's not. Well, part of the reason um, they put it under Touchstone is, again, because there are a lot of very... The themes are not um, appropriate suggestive points and in fact the sexual content um they wanted to cut it eisner and um the jeffrey let me pull back up his name uh katzenberg wanted to tone it down and cut it but they had given the director final approval on the final cut and he said no we're keeping it and they were like, well, then we definitely have to put it out under Touchstone because we could not sully the Disney name with this. Yeah, that's not actually the only thing in which uh, the director made use of his final cut Ooh, power. Tell me, I love spill the tea. 
So the first test audience they did for this movie was primarily comprised of 18 and 19 year olds. Woo! And they hated it. <gasps> uh, let's go back in time and tell those 18 year olds and 19 year olds they have no taste. Yeah, and so, like, pretty much the entire audience walked out of the screaming. What? But with his power of final cut, he said he was not changing a thing. Because a lot of times, test audiences, if they see, like, one of the reasons the live-action Mulan apparently has been pushed back a little is because some of the initial test audience results were not that great so they went back and changed some things accordingly that's what test audiences are meant to do listen the director here he knew what he was doing yeah this movie is so great and if he would have changed it because some tasteless 18 and 19 year olds (laughs) decided to walk out no 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 Props to him. Listen, 18, 19, that's actually that sweet spot where... You're you too think, cool. Well, and you think you know things now. You're an adult. You think you've got it figured out. That's true. And then it takes a few years to realize you don't. I still don't. And I'm 30. So, anyway. Yeah, so it's a good thing he did not listen to that advice. Um, they did have... Over 40 drafts of the script. Yeah. Uh, Some versions had either Jessica Rabbit or Baby Herman as the villain. Yes. Uh, The movie... This movie marks the first and currently only time that Walt Disney and Warner Brothers cartoons appeared Mm -hmm. together on screen. Uh, In order to make that happen, though... Warner Brothers would only allow the use of their biggest tune stars if they had an equal amount of screen time. Yes, and you notice that Disney's when watching it. Stars. Yes, you do notice because whenever Bugs Bunny is on screen, Mickey Mouse is on screen with him, and whenever Daffy Duck is on screen, you got Donald Duck. And at the end, Porky Pig, Tinkerbell. So yes, and Donald and Daffy, I read, had to be portrayed as having equal skill at the piano. <laughs> Uh, yeah that's lovely um there was also actually some disagreement about how the looney tune characters should look uh warner brothers wanted the filmmakers to appear as they did at the time in the late 80s like in the merchandising right but the producers wanted to have them look the way they would have looked in that time in the 40s the 40s um and ultimately they used uh dummy footage with the modern design to send to warner brothers for approval oh but the animators used period appropriate designs in the actual film they did that oh i forgot to mention i did have another um when Eddie takes the job, he says he wants to be paid um, $100. Oh, right. $100 in 1947 money. I converted it to 2020 money and 1988 money so that audiences then would have known what this amount is and today we would know. So $100 in 1947 money in 1988 when the movie came out would have been about $536.74. Today, that's $1,152.35. So he was asking... Although, that's actually... one night of work. Yeah, but... Okay, whenever you see movies that involve private investigators... Right. They seem to have a pretty good, like, salary. They seem to ask for pretty high rates. So, I, I mean, maybe that's not entirely off basis. Maybe in a sense it is because at that point he's not exactly at the top of his game. Right. And like you said, it's one night of work taking a couple of pictures. Yeah. That's what it's supposed to be. Um, so during filming, Charles Flesher, who mm-hmm. voiced Roger Rabbit. Yes. Um, he delivered his lines off camera, but 
he was in full Roger costume, including rabbit ears. That's amazing. I love pictures. (laughs) During breaks, though, when he was still in costume, other staff at the studio would see him and comment about how the effects of the rabbit movie were not so great. Who's laughing now? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Also, Bob Hoskins, who plays Eddie, uh, said that after seeing the movie for two weeks, his youngest son wouldn't talk to him. What? When he asked him why, his son said that he could not believe he had worked with cartoon characters like Bugs Bunny and let him meet them. (laughs) Which is so cute. That is adorable. Yeah. I did also read that um, to kind of get himself into the right headspace for interacting with something that's not there... Uh, he studied his three-year-old daughter talking to her imaginary friend. Oh, that's so cute! I know. I love that. Yeah, I like I like those kind of facts. I like facts that include children. Children are so cute. They are. They're always adorable. Unless they're creepy. It's really one or the other. <laughs> 50-50 shot there. Um, now, the three ingredients of the dip that Kill tunes, which are yes. turpentine, acetone, and benzene. Yes. Those are all paint thinners. And they are typically used to remove animation from cells. They did it! Yeah. Uh, also, for the movie, now you did mention that they won awards for visual effects and yes. things like that. Uh, some of the ways that they kind of went above and beyond with that. Are you going to talk uh, about the light? Bump the lamp. The bump the lamp. Yep. Uh, which occurs, this is based on when Eddie takes Roger Rabbit into the back room at the bar um, to cut apart their handcuffs. Uh, they bump. He bumps into the lamp in the ceiling and then it starts swinging. And a lot of extra work was needed to make sure the shadows would match be with the animation part. Um... So, that's something that today is referred to as bump the lamp. Uh, in term, that's a term that's used by a lot of Disney employees, uh, which refers to going the extra mile to put on an effect that just makes it a little more special, uh, even though audience member members might not notice it. Right. Because to you, it's just exactly. makes sense. Shadows they work with the way they work. Exactly. Like, but obviously. The that shadow, scene, like, there's nothing there, so... That scene, altogether, I did read quite a few other articles in addition to Wikipedia, um, and every single audio... Audio? Goodness. Article referenced Bump the Lamp and how impressive that scene is in terms of just nailing animation and lighting and just everything. And a lot of them had that clip as the only clip that they had in the article from the movie because it's so impressive. Yeah, and just the fact that they decided to take the time to do it. Exactly. Especially when they the were... The extra work. Like, yeah, the extra work when they were trying to keep budget tight. and um, But yeah, so they did... Um, they actually set out the animation director, Richard Williams. Mm-hmm. He set out to break three rules that are that were previously established in okay. terms of combining live action and animation. Tell me. First, move the camera as much as possible so that the tunes don't look pasted on flat backgrounds. Second, use lighting and shadows to an extreme that was never before attempted, which Bump the lamp. Bump the lamp. And third, take uh, have the tunes interact with real-world object and people as much as possible. Because you see that all throughout the movie and the bar scene with the penguins holding trays and the octopus at the bar holding glasses, baby Herman with his cigar, Roger touching every freaking thing that he wants. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, this is just they they wanted, did it. Yeah, they wanted to do something different and it made their work most definitely harder, but they did it. 
and they got the awards to to prove it to prove it uh, that they did it well. They might have won other awards. I didn't look up all the awards. Just the, the Oscar awards. is the highest yeah, honor you can get for a movie. Pinnacle, so yeah. anything else that they won is like a cherry on top of yeah on top of that. Uh, and then just in terms of numbers, there were 326 animators who worked full-time on Ooh. the film. And in total, 82,080 frames of animation were drawn, Ooh. including storyboard and concept art. Uh, Richard William estimates that well over 1 million drawings were done for the movie. That makes sense. Yeah. In terms of... Um, yeah, that's that for numbers. 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 You got them numbers? Uh, yeah, and I, then I've got a couple more trivia pieces. Okay, great. Um, one of is kind of a goof, which again, the animators kind of had to work around. Uh, or not work around. Right. They decided to keep it in. Um, which is the scene where Roger and Eddie arrive at Maroon Studios to interrogate Mr. Maroon. Um while Bob Hawkins delivered his lines, he was looking straight ahead instead of down, where a three-foot rabbit would be. Uh, and instead of reshooting it, because, as you said, like, if they were making mistakes like that, re- re-editing and reshooting that was costly, um, the animators decided to have Roger stand on his tiptoe against a wall to make up for uh, the mistake of not looking down. Uh, and then, fun little fact that goes into, could go into a different tangent. Uh, Judge Doom's master plan to dismantle the red car trolley is based in fact. Yes, there, about the Pacific, uh, what should we call it? Is, I'm not sure what the Pacific actual... Pacific Electric Company, maybe? Yeah, ultimately, private corporations that conspired to eliminate public transit in the late 40s and 50s uh, to generate demand for automobiles... Um, and keep them running, uh, which, I mean, to a point, I feel like they succeeded because public transit in a lot of, even big cities Here's in the North thing. America. If you think about LA, people don't have great things to say about the public transit and you don't think of it as a hub of public transit the way that you think of New York, New York or even Chicago. People know about the sea trains and the trains that go above and everybody knows about these things. San Francisco, you know about the cable cars. I didn't even know Los Angeles had a metro system for the longest time because it is not well publicized. They, everybody says if you live in LA, you need a car. So they did succeed in that front. Another fun fact um, is they did produce a couple more cartoons, uh, Roger Rabbit cartoons, that aired in front of some movies. Yeah, I I thought when I was looking up actually this one, I saw something come up. Um, It was almost titled like a sequel, but then I saw that there was no sequel made. There was talk of a sequel being made, um, who framed Roger oh, Rabbit there's too. actually some, yeah, there's actually right now. But from what I read, it this might... has been in talks for a long time. People have, uh, there's been scripts made, but a lot of people have said, even though there's been scripts made, it's never going to happen. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, there is right now something that you can find floating around the internet. I guess we'll see if it happens. Uh, right now it's slated for 2022. And I guess ultimately it would be least surprising if they were to do this right now because Disney is big into sequels at this point. Or remakes. and Remakes more. Yeah, yeah remakes I don't more think than sequels. But... A lot of people, I read a lot about the idea of Who Framed Roger Rabbit 2, who said it's a good script, but it's not really feasible as a movie. It's not really something that would be likely to do. In fact, they even mentioned Disney Plus and um, one of the people who read the script, I think it was the original director, said it doesn't seem like something Disney would make for Disney Plus. I know that actually in the points where they were making, um, like not now, not recently, because it's not referencing Disney Plus, but actually, no, it was about a prequel. 
There were talks of a prequel at some point, which would involve Roger being enlisted in the war. It would take place during World War Two, and him and some other tunes having to go fight in the war and also save his wife from the Nazis. And uh, it didn't really get off the ground because Steven Spielberg was like, no, we're not doing that. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Spielberg, for that. Um, one other thing I realized that, as far as legacy goes, there is a billboard in Hollywood Studios for Maroon Tunes that is right by Echo Lake, above the buildings over that way. Oh, like where there's primetime... Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I think Hollywood it's, and Vine. Yeah, I think it's on top of the the store. Um, I'm gonna have to keep a lookout for it next time. I've I never see it every that. single time, and I go, Roger Rabbit. Yeah. So next I time mean, you're in Hollywood Studios, take a look. See, there's a Maroon Studios uh, billboard. It has Roger. Uh, I think it has Baby Herman and Jessica on it as well. I'm surprised they put Jessica Rabbits in the parks. Like, this is actually one character. When Frozen came out, and Elsa's dress changes up and is a lot more sexy than her previous dress. Remember, there was some criticism about that. Right. And a lot of people were like, has these people watched Disney movies? <laughs> and, okay, she is Touchstone, but even then, there right. are other examples, which are Disney. But, like... Have you seen Jessica Rabbit? And she is sometimes, um, they are sometimes on merchandise. Uh, a lot of times Valentine's Day merchandise yes. featuring Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit. Uh, but no, I've never seen, I've never noticed that billboard, which I'm starting to think, um, I feel like I'm realizing this movie is a lot, um... You thought it was kind of more of a cult classic? No, no, not that it was a cult. I'm talking about you specifically. You're talking about how much you love this movie. I it is the first time we've movie. watched this movie together. I know, because we, we have haven't been had married it. for almost eight years. <laughs> because we haven't had it available. That's true. We don't have it on DVD. So now that it's on Disney Plus, I guess what is going to become one of the things we'll we'll talk about that well, with that's rewatchability. Gonna be at the end. We're gonna we're gonna get there. Let's do some hot takes. Hot take number one is I just lost it, <laughs> and you were going into it. So I was so intensely. Hard. I was like, I got this hot take. I'm gonna do it. Judge Doom is one of the most frightening villains I have ever seen. We're going to talk about his villain ranking, but he scared me so much as a small child. I was terrified of him. Like, and the dip. The dip, it just is scary looking. They did such a good job of making it look terrifying because I was terrified of the dip. Which is funny, because the dip isn't supposed to be harmful to humans. And that's why Judge Doom has to use gloves whenever he puts something in it. Because yes. if you were to touch it as a human, you would not be affected by it. So you're safe from the dip. But I was afraid of the dip. Um, yeah, rewatching it now as I'm older made me realize, like, oh, there is a lot more risque content in mm -hmm. here that I realized as a child many things flew over my head. One of the best jokes is about Eddie Valiant and did you change your name to Jack Daniels? And of course, as a child, phew! But as an adult, man, what a good burn. Like, did yeah. you change your name to Jack Daniels? And, like, can we talk about the innuendo when Jessica Rabbit tells Roger that she's going to bake him a carrot cake? Well, it is heavy. Oh, I, I the don't patty even know. The patty caking, too. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a very not family-friendly movie. But like, I was watching it as a small child. I am not surprised. How old were you when your dad made you watch it? I was seven, and it scarred me forever. There we go. So, although I, I did also watch this movie as a child, because you know, you know why. It's because we grew up in the 90s when 
Blockbuster was a thing. Free kids movie any, rentals. Not even just that. Any movie that was made by Disney or like related, yes, would be in the kids section. Yeah. This is how I watched Nightmare Before Christmas when I was five years old. Also, because the French title for Nightmare Before Christmas is Mr. Jack's Strange Christmas, which does not really, like, foretell the same kind of horrors. So my mom was not aware that I was about to watch a movie. That would make me so scared of, like, monsters under my bed. I had a phase where I would literally race from the doorway of my, of my bedroom onto my bed. I was scared of monsters under the stairs. There's no closet under my staircase That's at home. That's true. There's just more stairs. Yeah, so so these movies, which were not necessarily exactly meant for kids, would still wind up in the kids' section at places like Blockbuster. Wow. What a time. Yeah, it's so wild. It is wild. But the movie's only rated like PG. That's because it was rated in the 80s. The MPAA uh, restricted its rating guidelines a lot in the 90s. If it had been rated in the 90s, it would have gotten PG-13. Well, I still would have been allowed to watch it. Again, you watched it. (laughs) Okay, but my mom was not on board with that. Yeah. Um, No, I just... Honestly, I don't have a lot of really hot takes about this movie because I think it's so well done. I don't have I just uh, I think the storyline is incredible I think the visually it's just beautiful Um, I love the fact that Jessica is this like sex symbol within the community and she performs and all these guys are like swooning over themselves and she loves Roger and she and because he makes her laugh and she so genuinely loves him and I think if they had gone for the angle that she was the one who had done it it wouldn't have been so good I think it was perfect the way the way that it was um it's a lot different from the book Who Censored Roger Rabbit because did you read anything about the book? I did not. It's about Roger Rabbit. He is a comic strip star. It's all said about comic strips. He is murdered. Okay. And among the suspects are Jessica and Baby Herman and it's just a very different he's kind of a second banana cartoon strip star and he's wondering why he's being censored and not being given you know top rating and stuff like that so it's a very different book but I think again that the changes that they made to make this movie are just fantastic what do you have some hot takes? I, I'm trying to think of hot takes. And, like, I don't feel like there's any moments. Like, maybe the points where they're just, like, with Brady Herman, with his caretaker-ish yeah. lady. I was like, this is not a nice baby. But nobody's trying to pretend he's a nice baby. Right. So, no, I don't... I mean, that's not an excuse. But... I don't really have hot takes. No, this is just good. Let's talk. I mean, I'm not going to rank it as high as you will because I know. I, like I don't know how often you watch this movie as a child. I watched it maybe Honestly, I think I might have watched it once in my childhood and then I watched it again multiple times during my childhood. A few years ago, I watched it again for the first time since I was an adult. So, this is this is not a movie that was as prevalent in my life as it was in yours. And let's, like I anyway. Let's talk villains. Let's talk Judge Doom. As I said, he was the scariest to me. His eyes, that part at the end where his hand starts transforming into things. Oh my goodness, I had nightmares about it. He is truly evil. He is a tune that wants to erase all the other tunes for profit. This is, he is a 9 out of 10 villain for me. I'm going in strong because anybody willing to wipe out their fellow race for money 
is evil beyond belief. And he kills that little shoe, the shoe yeah. that gets out of the box, who he didn't do anything. The box got knocked over by somebody else, and he was brutally dipped. That's also, evil. This is the shoe that, like, went to someone for comfort. He was just like, he just went to the wrong person. Yeah. It's he like, was just like rubbing himself against his foot because he's like, I'm alone and I'm scared. It's like if a small kitten came up to you and you just yeeted it into the road. Why would you do that? It's evil. Evil, evil, yeah. evil. No, he is really, like, so bad. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to match you on that. I'm going to say 9 out of 10 also. And so he is evil. he is very scary. And um, actually, Christopher Lloyd said that he realized Judge Doom was a tune from the moment he read the uh, introduction to his character in the script. Because one of the things that you might notice about Judge Doom is that he never blinks. Yes! It's so creepy. That's, that's one of those things I did read that Christopher Lloyd tries not to blink on camera and he did it so well that you don't see him blink and that's so unnerving so from the second he comes in you get this feeling that there's something not quite right about him and one of those things is you don't see him blink which is such an obvious like we don't think about blinking much as a society but when someone doesn't do it whoa creepy 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 yeah so rewatchability, where are you at? Uh, <laughs> we're not gonna agree on this. So you're gonna wa- have to watch alone, uh, a lot. I would say, every, like maybe a couple of times a year, maybe once a year. I could watch this movie every week and not get tired of it. I, I love. It is so good and I have forgotten how good it is because I haven't seen it in a while it is amazing everything about it I just it's fantastic I could watch it every week and not get tired of it yeah I guess you're gonna watch it alone a lot a good thing we we can watch Disney Plus on multiple (laughs) Multiple devices devices. I'll just be in the room and I'll be like ah ah Judge Doom I'll be scared yeah it's okay, I'll find things to watch in the meantime. You're just going to rewatch your same favorite things again and again. Possibly. <laughs> don't if act you don't like you're better that. than me. <laughs> Alright, so what's your final ranking? My final ranking. This movie is a solid 9.7 out of 10. What? It is a 9.7. I have laid out all the reasons why it's so amazing. Plot. Humor, visual effects, the soundtrack, it's all phenomenal. Everyone should be watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit. If this were, if we were filming... Marie's jaw <laughs> just like dropped. She is so shocked by how... High. This is so high. Yeah. And again, we've. this is the first time we've watched this movie together this is the first time i've seen you watch this movie it is so good and i forgot how amazing it is and i want to rectify that mistake in my life it is a solid 9.7 out of 10 i was going with 6.5 you know what once again, I'm accepting new applications for a co-host. Uh, send an email to magicalstreaming at yahoo.com or uh, DM me at streamthemagic on Twitter. Or stream the magic or streaming magic? Maybe it's streaming magic. Probably. You're in charge of the Twitter you account. You know what? If you just... Uh, also, do you really want to co-host with someone who wants to replace you whenever your opinion doesn't match hers? This is this is Snow White all over again. At least it has a passing grade. Sixty percent is not passing. It's six point five. That's sixty five percent. And yes, it is. No. Yes, it is. What school did you go to? I can't tell the podcast. <laughs>
<laughs> it doesn't matter. You don't live there anymore. Uh, it was not passing for me. Okay, that's just because of your standards. I once got a 65% on an exam, though. It was... I cried for of you did. so long. It was in geometry. Uh, the second geometry semester, so geometry B, and I got a 65%, and I cried and cried and cried, and you know what? Shapes are the worst. You know, I once got, like, 55% on oh, in a AP Bio. philosophy paper that I wrote, which I had not studied for at all, which had to be many words. It was an exam, but it was a paper that we had to write, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, I'm proud of that. I just rambled on for, like, I don't remember how many words, but a lot of words, talking about something I have no clue about. 55% is a good grade for that. I used to get awful grades in AP Biology, but after the first, like, 37%, I was like, you know what? I don't even care anymore. So, yeah, I got under 60 a lot in AP Bio, almost all my tests. One time, I got a 70, and I was thrilled. But that's a different story. Um, Mr. Mahan, you were not a very good teacher. (laughs) Okay, that's the hot take for the episode. The hot take is, my AP Biology was teacher was not a good AP Biology teacher. And you could tell because the class average on test was like 52%. Well, didn't you say also he would just not yeah, talk about the subject not. at all? He was like, uh, let me tell you about the time I squatted in a house in Kalamazoo. And let me tell you about the time I roofed through a hurricane. Let me tell you about the time I was a bouncer at a club. Let me tell you about the time. And we're like... What? <laughs> I mean, these sound like interesting stories, but yeah, it doesn't help you pass a class. Anyway, this is uh, completely off topic. Yeah, so I've been talking about where to find us. We have a Facebook page now, Magical Streaming. Yes, we do. We're on Twitter. Ma- stream the Magic. Stream the Magic. Streaming Magic. One of the two. Streaming ma- I think it might be Streaming Magic. Yeah, just, I think so. Just You'll find it. We're on Instagram. At Magical Streaming. Yep. And uh, so the poll, we're going to put, I mean, we're going to talk about it more also as we get closer to it. But when we do do polls for the fourth episode of the month, it will be on both Facebook and Twitter. Yes, and we'll combine the votes. So if you are on Facebook and Twitter, you can vote twice! That's true. So if you got a strong opinion about any of the four epi- uh, four choices, which are Wally. Zootopia, Big Hero 6, and Cars. <laughs> I'm sticking to it. Oh, okay. We're posting the poll right now? Uh, we're going to be posting the the poll tomorrow, yeah, to give people a full... Month? Almost a month to vote. Okay. So, again, Wally, Zootopia, Big Hero 6, and Cars. Decide what Amber will watch on her birthday week. Yeah! And until then, enjoy your magical streaming. Bye-bye.